Hello, welcome and kumusta and thank you for joining me today. My name is How. I am your occupational therapist. In this episode of OT Conversation, I would like to talk to you about the things that you can look for when you are doing occupational therapy assessment and when you are planning OT treatment. That is right. We're going to uh, talk about some of the things that you can look for every time you do assessment and whenever you are doing some interventions as well. This is actually called the parameters of your assessment and intervention. So if you remember on the uh, podcast topic that is that was that's previous to this one, which is just the one that I spoke about the understanding activities of daily living. Yes, activities of daily living is obviously the concern, our concern as an occupational therapist working in the hospital. And of the 15 areas, there were actually nine. Now, what do we do with those nines? Okay, yes, we are looking at grooming, oral hygiene, we are looking at functional mobility. Uh, whenever we assess them, we assess them in actually in actual four areas. So we're not just assessing grooming, but we look at grooming and assess them in four criteria. Call it like a criteria. And I'm going to go and head in straight. The most common way on how we look at our ADLs is through the parameter of independence. So when we're doing assessment, we are thinking or asking whether the person is actually independent or not independent. It's either a patient does or does not. So grooming, let's talk about some of the tasks in grooming, say brushing the hair. You can make an assessment, you give a comb to the patient, and then you get them to brush their hair, and the person either is independent or not independent. It's as straightforward as that. However, if you try and assess hair brushing as independent, or not independent, it's just very, very broad, isn't it? So you need to quantify the independence. And there are many ways on how independence is being measured. So it can be measured in, I think, on the in the FIM FAM or functional independence measure, it is being assessed as uh, like total dependence, mild or mild mild dependence, moderate dependence, uh, modified independence, and then and then full dependence. Or you can quantify it by independent, mild, moderate, maximum assist. So these are some of the parameters for the uh, assessing independence. But what I've noticed in the country of the United Kingdom, they don't necessarily understand or people does not necessarily understand mild, moderate, and maximum independence. Uh, when you say moderate assist, a person just does not, a nurse would not necessarily understand that, or the doctors would not necessarily understand that. 
Uh, you would be instructed on that and you can read on texts about it. But then again, in practice, the mild, moderate, and maximum assistance does not really work. And why is that? That is because, uh, from my experience, I understand that people would quantify independence based on the level of moving and handling or the level of assistance that one is providing to a patient. So, for example, bed transfers, a nurse would say total assist or assistance of two or assistance of one. Putting on their clothes, a patient's clothes, assistance of two, assistance of one. So, a person would understand that. Most of the healthcare professionals in the United Kingdom would understand that. So, it's the level of moving and handling or the number of carers that are required. So, it's assistance of one and assistance of two. So, my recommendation is that you make an assessment of a person's ADL abilities based on whether they are independent, if they are fully, fully independent without any need. You can say modified independence or standby assistance, uh, meaning... Or actually, sorry, sorry, sorry. Let's let's say that again. Independent, if they're fully independent, or if they needed a second one, second level down would be a modified independence. It means they are independent, but with the use of an adaptive aid, or it is at the same level as when the person uh, needs a form of uh, just a setup. So meaning the carers can just set it up and they can just leave the person be and then they can do their personal care or they can do their dressing, for example. Um, then a next one down would be supervision, meaning the person just needed some form of a supervision. And what does that mean? Super is over, vision is C. So you just need somebody to oversee the patient to do the things that they need to do. So, for example, medication routine, you can quantify whether a person needs supervision. Or this means the person just needs verbal cues or verbal prompts. And this is particularly applicable to those patients who are confused or who has a form of, uh, say... Um, dementia, for example, that they don't need physical assistance, but all they need is a verbal cues from another person. Then the next one down would be assistance of one or standby assistance of one. Okay, So assistance of one, meaning the person really does need a physical assistance of one person, so, for example, when somebody has to shower, you can say the person needs assistance of one. And I think that's understandable. Or sometimes the person is not consistent with their dressing or showering and the person will need a form of a standby assist. Meaning, assistance is given only when it is required. And this assistance is a physical level of assistance. So that is now a standby assist 
What does this mean? It just means that the person needs a constant individual next to them, but it they can be it can be done by one person. And then the next one after that would be assistance of two. Okay? And so assistance of two would be a physical assistance of two people. So for example, functional mobility, sitting and standing from the chair, uh, you can assess and you can describe that they are needing assistance of two people. Okay. And then the next one down would be a special dependence, meaning it has to be a nurse or it has to take a special person or it has to be a special person to do the personal care. And this is particularly applicable to those people who are very dependent because they are acutely unwell or for those people who are in critical care, for example. So let's have an example on that. Say toilet hygiene. If a person is in critical care and they are connected to a lot of things like saving um, devices, for example, or they're connected to a respirator or they're connected to, say, a filter and they, it needs a special moving and handling. It may need three people. It needs special nurses to move the person or they have flexiseal then the toilet hygiene of that person has to be special dependence. Or another one for special dependence would be, for example, prior to admission, they are independent, getting in and out of the bath, but because they are unwell, should they need to get into the bath, that they need a special hoist. So that would mean... Uh, a person will need some special dependence. Now, another example is feeding and eating. So prior to admission, you can say that the person was independent or say they just needed a setup assistance, for example. Um, and then because they have a nasogastric tube that they cannot eat, so it has to be a special skilled person like a special nurse, for example, or a nurse that can only feed them in the acute stages. That means they are requiring a special dependence. So that is the quantification. So that is, that's one way on how you can assess a person in forms of independence. So if you're assessing them and looking at their level of independence, so that means that when you are treating them, you need to report on their level of independence as well. Okay, so for example, if your assessment is uh, in terms of dressing, the person needs assistance of two for top half and bottom half dressing, and then you do your intervention, what you measure is, you know, you, you aim for them to be able to put on their clothes with setup assistance. So that is from a assistance of two, moving it up to a setup, uh, setup assist. 
and eventually you would want them to be independent. So that is a form of looking. That's one way when you look uh, at the personal care or the ADLs at the level of a person's independence. Now, the next step on what you can do is, or what you can look at, is the aspect of safety. So after independence, you can look at the aspect of safety, which means you can assess the person and you, when you do the assessment, and when you do the treatment, you look at the parameter of safety. So, safety is a little bit tricky because there's really not an actual measure of safety. It's really very subjective and it's either the person is safe or unsafe. There is nothing in between. And again, the certainty, you can only hope that the person will be safe. For example, functional mobility, um, say moving and say walking, you can describe that the person in the level of independence is that the person was walking using a walking frame and needed standby assist when walking. And then the safety, you can then make an assessment that the patient needed standby assist because the patient is not safe or needed standby assist to ensure safety. Um, so safety, there are some safety parameters out there, like you can put on a grab rail, for example. Uh, there are some safety features, non-skid mats, for example. You can aim for a person to be safe in bathing. How do you do that? You put in a non-skid mat, or you can aim for a person to be safe with strip washing. How do you do that? You can put on a, uh, you can advise them to use a perching stool. So you can aim for, to provide a perching stool for them to be safe while strip washing. Okay. You can say, for example, assess them, say, on the toilet hygiene. You can take note that the patient can manage toilet hygiene, but with difficulty. So that's the level of independence. And then you can say standby assistance is required to ensure safety. So already you are in, in the aspects of ADL on this situation, you're now looking at the two parameters, the parameters of independence and the parameter of safety. Now the third aspect or the parameter that you are looking at is the parameter of adequacy of performance or the quality of performance. And uh, what do I mean by this? So adequacy and quality um, in terms of ease of performance. So let us have a discussion about, say, putting uh, dressing, for example. Say you are working with a stroke patient and uh, you did a dressing training, and then the person was independent. So, managed to put on the clothes, 
we'd set up assistance, for example. But then it has taken them a long time. So you do your session again and again because now the parameter is you wanted the person to be able to complete the dressing at a faster time. So that is the aspect of the length of time when a person is engaging in the particular ADLs. So that's one. The other thing is the presence or absence of fatigue, which means you are assessing the level of difficulty. Again, let's look at an example for somebody who's had a lung problem, for example, who's got some long-standing COPD, and then the problem could be that in terms of dressing, the person can do it but gets tired. So they get uh, fatigued easily. So you teach them your goal would be for a person to be able to engage in dressing with less fatigue. And how are you going to do that? You are going then to teach them some modified technique. So that would be a modified intervention. Okay. So that is the aspect of quality. So in terms of quality or adequacy, so you have, again, the time. The second one is the presence or absence of fatigue. And then another one is the presence or absence of pain. So another example, if somebody's had a shoulder replacement and the problem is the patient can put on their clothes but with complaints of painful shoulder. So your objective then would be the patient will be able to put on their clothes with less complaint of shoulder pain. Uh, how are you going to do that? You give them some education about some special techniques on how to put on their clothes. And so the outcome would be the person will can now, after your intervention as occupational therapist, the person can put on their clothes with less complaint of pain. And how did you do that? That was through education, using the modify intervention, and you can even have supportive intervention for that. Okay. So, in again, quality or adequacy, you talk about the length of time to engage on the particular ADL task. Second would be the presence or absence of fatigue and difficulty. And then the third one is the presence and absence of pain. Okay. And the last one, last of the parameter, is called the parameter of uh, value. So what do we mean by that? Sometimes when a person says they wanted to do things, it just means that that is something that is of value to them. And you do things for the patient because you're helping them to resolve some things, a problem that is of value to them. So for example, somebody comes to you or you see a patient in the ward 
and they're quite elderly or a wheelchair user, a new amputation, for example, and they start to ask you, Hello, dear therapist. Can I have some information about uh, Blue Badge? I don't know how to get Blue Badge. And then there you are as an occupational therapist, and you're going to direct them how. So you teach them, you give them, you educate them, or you signpost them, which is a supportive intervention. So once you have given them that information that they need, so what will be the outcome is that the person now knows how to apply for a blue badge or for a disabled parking permit. So it starts with a problem, isn't it? The problem was the person does not know how to obtain a blue badge or this does, person does not know how to obtain a parking permit. Then after your intervention, which is supportive intervention through education, the outcome then would be now the person can or is now aware of how to obtain disabled parking permit. It's simple, isn't it? So another way where you address the aspect of value, for example, is um, say you educate them through education and you respond and you answer their questions. Um, say another scenario where a patient comes to you and uh, they've had some recent cardiac event and they don't know the procedure and they want to understand the procedure and you give them an advice, you talk to them about it so that you clarify what they're going to get. That's after what the doctors have said, okay? So you just need to, to, to speak the terms or explain the procedure in a layman's term so that uh, they can understand it better. So how, what is that act of, um, of explaining? What does it resolve? It's not about independence, isn't it? It's not about safety. It's not about the quality. But it, it resolves the problem of not knowing. And why does the person want to know? Because it is something that is of value to them. So your education then has created an outcome that the person is now much more aware of the procedure. So again, the things that you do will matter and will have an outcome. Another way where you use the parameter of value is when, say, you have a few problems. Say the person was dependent with... Uh, getting out of bed, they cannot wipe their bottom, they cannot put on their clothes. So you can ask the person which of those three is the most valuable to them because which one is the most important to them. Because once the patient was able to identify which ones are most important to them, then that would be the task that you can prioritize working on. So that's how you can use the parameter of value whenever you are 
assessing or making an intervention plan. So there are only four parameters when you're doing an assessment and intervention and the planning intervention. And these parameters, you can actually put in a, an acronym called VISA. V-I-S-A. Where V stands for the value. I stands for independence. S stands for safety. And A stands for adequacy which means the quality of performance. Okay, so I hope that now makes it a little bit clearer. So let's have a quick recap. So there were 15 ADLs. So what our concern is as occupational therapists is ADLs. Of those ADLs, there are 15. Of those 15, you can work on 9 if you are working in the hospital. And all of those ADLs has four parameters on which you assess and on which you plan your interventions around, particularly the value, the independence, the level of safety, and the level of quality. Some kind of a, an anecdotal uh, incidents or reflection, really, that I have realized. Do you know what? I should put up we should put up a hats up to the Canadians. Uh, they have uh, developed this tool. So what's amazing about the Canadians, and we're going to talk about this again. Let, let me remind you, we'll talk about this in another, uh, another uh, more detailed conversation. Uh, but just a quick recap or just an overview of a very good tool that they have developed. It is the... Uh, COPM, no, 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 CM, Canadian Occupational, COPM, it's Canadian Occupational Performance Measure. So why is that? Because Canadian Occupational Performance Measure, first, the person identifies the area of ADLs that they want to address, so that's good. Again, it addresses the ADLs, which is specific to OT. The next thing is the Canadian, the, the persons or the patients would be asked to prioritize a per the, the problems and which one based on which ones are important to them. So that is already the aspect of value. And then the next thing is patients will be asked to put a score on how independent they feel they are. So that is their uh, level of independence. And then the patient puts a score on how safe they feel they are when they're performing that ADL task. So that assesses safety. And then they ask whether the person is happy with how they are doing the task. And that is assessing the aspect of adequacy and quality. So that's amazing. So the Canadians are really onto it. So it's wonderful. Um, there you go. So there you go, guys. In this session, we have spoken about the parameters of assessment and intervention. 
And these parameters are the ones that you would look for every time you do an assessment and when you are planning an occupational therapy treatment. So, I hope you enjoyed this OT conversation. I would recommend that you go and talk amongst yourselves, have that conversation, grow together, uh, have case studies, and then explore this information that I have uh, provided. Uh, if you want to look this up, I mean, it's all available in the texts, the general OT texts that are out there, the OT Bibles, you know, it's all out there. Uh, it's not uh, my idea, but I have just come up in personally in just putting it all in an acronym uh, of uh, VISA. Okay, so I hope you learned a little something. Again, just remember, guys, anything you do matters and has an outcome. Until next time, bye.